Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, and thanks for joining me. I'm really looking forward to this special discussion today with four highly successful recruitment business leaders. I'm thrilled to be joined by Charles Draper, he's the Group Managing Director of The Shaw Group, Ian Simpkin, Managing Director of Sylvan Recruitment, Kelly Tucker, Managing Director of HR Star, Martin Jones, Managing Partner of Known4. Thank you very much, all of you, for being here today. Really appreciate it. Kelly, you've been on my podcast, so you're an old hand at this. Uh, we were talking about your HR consulting business. So maybe I could start with you. Could you tell us first where you're based and then a little bit about your business and what do you do and whom do you help? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ben. Um, so I'm Kelly Tucker. I own and run HR Star. So we're predominantly a HR consultancy um, and we provide proactive HR support to businesses of various size and sector. We're based in the Cotswolds in Cheltenham and um, lots of our clients are based locally, but we also go further afield. So Bristol, London and even a client up in Scotland. Um, so as I say, we predominantly provide HR support around employee engagement. So a lot of that work focuses on creating cultures that um, fit with the business values mission um, and what it is they're trying to achieve so we align people um, plans with business plans um, a lot of that work will come down to doing sort of workforce planning um, you know restructuring making sure that the right people are in in the right seats as it were so over the years that we've been doing that and I've set up HR star about five and a half years ago a number of clients when it comes then to having a need to bring in new talent have sort of said that you've worked really hard with us on our culture on ensuring that we you know we have the right um, people in the right places so when we have a need can you help us so recruitment kind of happened I suppose a little bit by accident for us in terms of we didn't set out to be a recruitment agency and we're not so like I say we do HR but when there comes a need for talent we will help our clients source that talent so we don't um we don't operate in a, in a traditional recruitment agency sense that we don't have a database of candidates and, you know, to fill various roles for it's more for when our clients come to us and say, can you help us sort some, source some talent for a particular role? We will then go and help them do that. Gotcha. Great. All right. Thank you very much. Charles, what about you? You've got a, a diverse group. Can you tell us a bit about firstly, where are you based and then what does your business do and who do you help? Okay, yeah, well, first, thanks for having us. Um, it's good to be on. It's good to be mixing the day up with all this madness of the pandemic. Yeah. So it's good to, uh, good to have a chat about something other than that. Um, so my name is Charles Draper, um, Group MD of Sure Group. Uh, we're a, essentially a recruitment company, I guess. That's where we started, at least. Um, but yeah, fairly diverse. We've sort of branched out into various different sectors now where we, we get involved in logistics, uh, health and social care. Um, but yeah, very much still in the recruitment sector. That's where we started seven years ago. Um, pretty much working within sort of distribution, you know, food manufacturing, uh, agriculture, things of that nature. Um, and that sort of now moved forward into various different things. As I said, sort of health and social care and logistics, where we run our own fleet of vehicles, um, which to be fair, with everything that's gone on this year, has been sort of fairly lucky for us. Because I know in certain, industry, in certain industries and sectors across the recruitment side, it's been difficult with, obviously, uh, unemployment, etc. for us. We've been very lucky to buy markets, as I said, agriculture, food manufacturing. These are things that have sort of really boomed this year uh, and there's been a, a huge demand. Um, 
so that's been sort of really fortunate for us. But yeah, the the, the business is seven seven years old now. Um, it's been a bit of a uh, an idea of a one stop shop. My my view was to sort of try and cross sell as much as we could within certain industries, opposed to sort of branching off and doing everything. Um, I try and sort of keep us as, as, as much as a, a specific sort of angle of where we work, and, and that sort of worked for us, I guess. So yeah, it's um, we craft as a one stop shop, but very much it, it's specific to what we want to do within the in the areas. Nice, nice. I'd love to dive into that more in, in a minute. Um, Ian, do you want to tell us about where are you based and then what do you guys do? Yeah, uh, hi. Yeah, thanks um, for the invite, Ben. Much appreciated. Um, you're based in Manchester um, when we're not in lockdown. We sell recruitment. It's our 10th year next year. So 2021 will be our 10th year wow. of trading. Um, that's a big year. Yeah. We do All we do is food and drink manufacturing, um, white collar. 30k plus um, interim and perm, pretty much a 50-50 split between the two. Um, UK-wide, um, Land Centre, John O'Groats, food manufacturing businesses are in strange locations. They're not in city centres. They're on business parks or in the middle of nowhere or, um, you know, locations you wouldn't expect them to be. So we, we cover the whole of the, the UK. There's about 20 of us and we look after the uh, manufacturing side. So, people that make the food so if you think of greg wallace doing inside the food factory and the people he interviews those are the people we recruit the manufacturing managers technical managers, engineering managers mpd supply chain um we don't touch on hr it or finance um or head office functions it's running the running the factories um and the food industry is a you know i've worked in it i've recruited in it i should say sorry for 25 years so it's um it's fairly robust um this year has been interesting. It has the pockets that have been crazy and really busy, like Christmas Day volumes every day. And there's other parts that have been affected quite badly that um, are more food service related. So people that predominantly supplied into coffee shops or restaurants or um, quick service restaurants, they were affected greatly during the last lockdown. Not so much now, but definitely during the last lockdown. Um, and yeah, it's something that... Um, is um is good fun actually the food industry is a good place to be absolutely absolutely very good thank you very much uh, and martin where are you based and what do you guys do so as a business we're um uh what you call distributed um by the way sorry hi ben and hi everyone else <laughs> nice to be here um uh yeah so we're distributed um known for as a business is a hundred percent remote brilliant uh, uh so i'm personally based in italy um, but I recruit into the UK market still because that's where my expertise in network is. Um, but I, I mean, I could be doing my job anywhere in the world. Yeah. And actually, you know, and um, it's, it's nice to have that freedom. And we have people who are, who are based in, in different parts of the UK and Europe. Um, so, yeah, so the, the organization is kind of spread around. And that, that was really the idea. Um, the, the thought behind Known4 was there are lots of people in the recruitment industry who kind of grow up um, recruiting. Um, and they, they get into recruitment perhaps by accident um, as sort of like early 20s and, um, and then they leave the industry. Um, they get to a point when they, they need something that they think is stability, that they think is something more mature perhaps as an industry. Um, where, and that happens a lot with families as well. You think, you know, well, actually, I, if I'm going to an office-based environment, I have to be there from seven o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock at night because that's what we do. Mm. And it's not very compatible with being a parent. Um, so we looked at that and said, well, there are all these people, these great recruiters being lost to the industry. Um, you know, we'll try and give some of those places a, a place to, to function and to have flexibility on where they're based and how they operate. 
um, but at the same time not compromise on the quality of service we're offering. So um, what do we do? We're technology-based recruitment. Um, that's more because of the people we have rather than anything else. We're taking people who are established recruiters, um, who have a market, who have knowledge, um, and uh, we're giving them an environment in which they can operate, um, hopefully at a very high level, um, in a market in which they're already specialised. So our, actually our core, fun our core um, technologies at the moment are Salesforce, and cybersecurity, um, which also, also um, as a happy coincidence rather than as a plan, um, are two spaces that have continued to um, at least maintain through the, the current coronavirus crisis, you know, albeit obviously with less roles from the industry. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's kind of a bit of a background about us. Very good. And uh, I love the fact that you are fully distributed. Uh, I've interviewed other people on the podcast. One person, she has most of her clients in the UAE and in the UK, and she's based in Uganda. So, um, you know, anything's possible. So I love it. Very good. Um, let's move on to the, the next topic, which is what makes a good versus great recruitment business? I can go round robin on this, or does someone like to start us off? Um, Kelly, I know you've got some thoughts on... Um, Know, progressing a business and taking it forward and, and making it even better. So maybe I'll start with you, but others feel free to dive in um, on what makes a good versus great recruitment business. Sure. Thanks, Ben. I think for, for me, it's around sort of building that relationship with a client. And, you know, first, like I say, our approach is very much focused on culture fit, um, sort of their experience, you know, obviously having the right people in the right seats is so important to business success. So I think that's where, you know, when we recruit, we have success is because we have that relationship with our client. We really understand, you know, the culture, what it is they're looking for, what's going to work for them. We understand the role because quite often, and we've been part of creating that through our job design projects. So um, I think in the past when I was working in-house and used to work alongside sort of recruitment agencies, that's where we used to struggle because, you know, it's if they didn't have that relationship or didn't spend the time getting to know and understand the culture of the organisation, what we were looking for, then we never had like a good quality of candidate off the back of that. So, um, yeah, I think for me, it's very much that relationship that you, you have with your clients. Yeah, definitely. Charles, what do you think? I think for me, it, it, I was looking at this question earlier on and I was thinking about, you know, what's a suitable response. And I thought I thought was puddled around the idea of what, what's the definition of good and great. I mean, everybody has a different idea of what we think is good and, 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 and great, I guess. I mean, my vision for the business was very, very different five years ago, even three years ago to what it is now. And I think, you know, I work in, in high volume temps, which is very different to your sort of perm, your perm markets where it's um, a, maybe a slower paced business. Mine's more sort of, we've got a few weeks to fill hundreds of vacancies and it's got to be done. The numbers have to be hit, KPIs have to be, have to be met. And I think within that, I always sort of viewed this business that it had to be a bigger, a great business to me was going to be a, a sizable business with high, high turnover margins, you know, a lot lower than the, than the perm markets. You've got to be doing more of it. And I, I guess, that to me was what, what was going to be great. And, you know, you were absolutely right, Kelly, what you said about the, the, the people side of it. I mean, I've learned over the last seven years that the people are absolutely everything. You know, I can win an account for 200 people a day, but if I don't have the right individual running it, then I'm not going to have that account for long at all. Um, and, you know, it feeds up from there. Who's managing that person? Your account, your payroll team. It all feeds into the same, the same thing at the end of the day. And I think, you know, the, the definition for great for me has definitely changed. I said a minute ago, and I think it's now more... I want something manageable. And I think that that's the last two years, what we've done, we've created a manageable business that that's not so much built on massive volumes and higher turnovers. We sort of really plateaued and settled with what we want now. And I think 
a great business to me is something that's got the potential to be sustainable opposed to something that's so volatile. Um, and I think the recruitment can be a very volatile market. Um, but yeah, you know, look, a mixture of the people and, and what you define as great, I think, is, is the answer to the question from my point of view. Because yeah. everyone has a different definition of it. You know, some people want a lifestyle business. Some people want a 50 million pound turnover business. And, you know, they're both great businesses, but just select a different individual. Yeah, that's a very important point, understanding what drives the, the business leader, the business owner. Mm. Um, when you said make it more manageable, what do you mean by that? Is that around systems and processes or a different focus on Yeah. That? I think well, when, when you're growing, we, we, we were very aggressive in the way that we wanted to grow from a very early stage. And I think that, you know, we ended up with sort of like just sort of 10 offices across the UK. And we, we were sort of stretching ourselves so much to sort of manage the, the teams and the business. And, you know, my, myself, I was sort of acting as a, as a regional, I guess. You know, I was in a different city every day of the week. You know, I was working six, seven days a week trying to keep up with it. And it just got to a point where like, we, you know, I was sit, sit, sitting at the end of the week thinking, really has that been a good use of the time have we really effectively managed what we were doing here we're effectively growing you know we had businesses and offices that were turning over money but not really making any money and it was mm. a case of is that the best option for how, how long are we going to sustain this before we decide is this a good business plan or not and i think it sort of took i think it's 2018 to 2019 i sort of just took a view on it and i thought this is we're spinning too many plays and we're trying to do too much too quickly. And I think that we need to focus on what we do really well. And we need to really capitalize on, on the, on the clients we've got and really sort of work with them to sustain them for a longer period of time. Cause if you're not spending your time on your clients and you're trying to rush around to do too, too many things, you're going to lose it. Um, and you know, we all know that the market's competitive. When you have a good client, you want to nurture it, you want to look after it. Um, Cause if you don't, somebody else is going to be. And I think that, that for me was the direction that, that, that sort of really took a change to what I defined as great two years prior to what I defined as great now. And mm -hmm. that sustainability for me is just, you know, it's keeping the same teams in the same offices and it's sort of looking after your staff and making an environment where they want to be and stay. Cause I mean, staff turnover is, it's, it's, I think it's one of the, one of the biggest issues you can face when you're growing, you're constantly refreshing your team. You're never really growing as yeah. a business. Um, and I think that in order to offer staff sustainability, you've got to have a sustainable business and that's, same contracts, same managers, same people, and same ethos. You know, and that's for me what I cost is what was yeah. the difference between a good and a great business, really. Yeah, I like that. And you can create a culture based on what you want it to be if people are sticking yeah, around. Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, Ian, what are your thoughts on what makes a good versus great recruitment business? Um, yeah, I suppose I'd echo a lot of what um, the guys have said so far, really, in terms of it does depend on your perspective um, and each business owner is going to have a different perspective on that. But for me, um, I think a great recruitment business sells itself. A great recruitment business doesn't need anyone to talk about it because it's, it's got numerous advocates around the place um, doing its PR and marketing for it. And that's when you know you've really become a great recruitment business because mm. you either either at such a size or such a reputation um, that people want to work with you both proactively, the client as a candidate. If it's, if it's hard work because they don't know how good you are, you've got a bad reputation and you, you know where you're not a great recruitment business. A great recruitment business should be aspirational. It should be aspirational to work with from a client perspective, from a candidate perspective. And it should also be aspirational from um, a recruitment consultant perspective. So all three of those should want to work for, for the business. Mm -hmm. And if you've got that, and does anyone ever get there all the time? I don't know. I've, I've not come across one that does it consistently all the time. And that's the challenge and that's the fun of it all. But if you can get, the three main aspects of any recruitment business with client candidates and uh, recruiters to all want to work with you. And you know, you've got a great business. 
Um, then behind that, to get to that point, there's loads of things in play, whether it's um, your PR, your marketing, your processes, um, your understanding of your market, um, your structures, your um, career progression for your consultants, your vision, um, the dream of what you're trying to achieve, pride in the badge of the business. Um, all those things make a great recruitment business. And, and for me, it's almost like a great brand. If you think of all the great brands out there, you, you have a warm feeling when you think of your favorite brand, whether you're Apple or Samsung, you've probably got a warm feeling, whether you're Nike or Adidas, you've probably got a warm feeling about it. Even though it's a pair of trainers and a phone, you, you, you feel good about it and you'll probably recommend that to someone else. And it's the same with lots of stuff. And it's like, if someone asks you for a recommendation for a restaurant, you normally tell them the best one you've been to because um, you want to say it's great. And for a great recruitment business to have that reputation, you can only get that if you've done the other things right. Um, and so, you know, that, because you, you can have a big business that doesn't make it good. You can have a business employing loads of people doesn't make it great. You can have a business. Yeah, um, I don't agree with that. <laughs> it, it doesn't, it, it, that's not an indicator to me at all. Um, and, 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 and with all those things, you've got to, for me, take for the ethical side of things, the integrity, doing the right thing at the right times. And you only get that um, reputation if you're doing, doing those things, really. Yeah. Um, and that's difficult because the more people you have, the more danger there is of people sort of um, only takes one person to ruin a reputation that's built up over years. Yeah, um, so it point. becomes more, more challenging and your recruitment processes. And, you know, I've recruited loads of people in the past that I thought were going to be great and perhaps weren't. Mm. Um, yeah, so that, that, that's, that, that sort of would be my take on it really. Yeah. It's interesting. There's seems to be a theme re- recurring here and elsewhere of uh, th- there have been times when I've gone into a business as a consultant uh on the HR side of things. And I've heard people say things like, if we win more customers or more clients, we'll, we'll lose money as we grow because of their systems and processes. They're actually not set up to mm-hmm. increase margins and, and improve the process. On the um, word of mouth side of things there, Ian, um, you mentioned, well, that's such a, a key point. Do you do things proactively or is it more of an organic thing? So um, we, we, in the last couple of years, I've really embraced a lot of the marketing, the PR um, side of things. And, and in the past, probably because I've done this a while, I was a bit more old school, maybe, um, in terms of trying to, and I still think there's a place for that, if I'm honest, old, old school approaches. But absolutely now, we, we've spent um, a much larger percentage of our turnover on um, marketing content, and making sure things are optimised, refreshing, you know, our, I mean, at the minute we we're redoing our website. We, we're putting a lot of money into automation for things to take stuff away from consultants to reduce the error factor that consultants can make mm. um, that can help um, because there's certain things that can be automated. Um, so we're doing, we're doing a lot around the automation side and making sure that the brand message is sort of consistent and on point and we get in the feedback because um, in, in the past, probably five, six years ago, we did just rely on recruiters being recruiters and speaking to people, but the times have moved on, the world's changing. Um, and there's a lot of things that can, there's a lot of tech out there that can really, really help um, you both be better as a business and also have a consistent message um, out there. And, you know, you personally, I want my guys to have personality and I want them to show who they are, but you, you also don't want them to go against the values that you spend a lot of time building up and relationships and um, freestyling too much because it can be dangerous to free staff for people that just go go rogue um and it, it, it's there's a lot of good stuff around that and 
Um, and I think there'll be a lot more to come with it as well. Um, and we, I don't know, I mean, it's, I speak to quite a few recruitment owners and some are way ahead of where we are and some haven't even started on it. So I think it's a, it's quite a mixed bag across the industry as to yeah. where it sits. Absolutely. And I completely agree that it's nice to have a mix of what you described as old school, but some of the, the newest strategies and tactics, but you know, nothing beats seeing a gift to a client or pressing the flesh if we're allowed to do that these days, who knows? But um, yeah, that, that old school approach absolutely works in combination. Um, Martin, what are your thoughts on what makes a good versus great recruitment business? It's interesting listening to, um, to Ian, Charles and, and Kelly talk about this because we're obviously all saying a lot of the same things. And you kind of expect that, right? I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of um, baseline stuff about great recruitment businesses like people and structure. And um, I think, I mean, for, for me to, if I was going to expand on anything um, on top of what you guys have said already, um, there are these two things for me. There's the knowing what you want to be um, and then knowing how to measure success at being that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there isn't a one size fits all version of recruitment that's really great. You know, and my personal preference is I like working at higher end of market, higher margins, more difficult positions to fill. That's just my preference. Um, but you can have a completely viable business option that's the opposite of that, that's low margin, that's for high volume. And they're both absolutely fine. You just know, you know, know what you want to be. Um, because it's very difficult to inspire people to be part of something and go on a journey with you if you haven't got a clear vision about what you actually want to be. And then, you know, you, you've got people who are going to, you're going to lose them because they don't want to be that for whatever reason. That's fine. Um, you need to have a group of people around you who can see clearly what that vision is going to be and what, what it's going to feel like and what it's going to look like and how that's going to service a need in the market. And then the secondary piece is how do we measure success in that? How are we going to look? What metrics are going to be important to us? And that you know, the, the, the obvious ones like you know the deals and the revenues and the growth and the, I mean that that's all obvious stuff. But how do you measure with the other parts of success? Are you succeeding about being what you wanted to be, or are you just making more deals? Um, you know, and you, you can make more deals whilst at the same time not actually ultimately fulfilling your objectives. Uh, and that in itself can create um, a, a dangerous scenario for your business where you actually you lose sight of what you wanted to become. Um, so for me, those two, you know, and again, that's on top of everything else, you know, there's no, you know, this is just a, this layering, isn't it, of, of yeah. what you've got, you know, and that core piece that, that we've all kind of touched upon, which is the people you work with. How do you hire the right people? How do you develop them? How do you keep them inspired and trained and directed? And all those things are absolutely crucial. But, but it starts, as I say, it starts for me with those two foundation pieces. Absolutely. What do we want to be? And how are we going to measure our progress towards that goal? Yeah. Yeah, I really agree. And, and all of you have been sort of touching on the point of um, these, knowing what you want to achieve, what kind of business you want. To, and if you throw into the mix, the, the types of clients that you want to work with, if you can line all of those things up, it will affect your business model. So if you want to be high volume recruitment at, um, at blue collar role for blue collar roles, then you're going to be looking for businesses that have excellent systems and training so that when they bring people through, they can onboard them really quick. You know, the McDonald's method, you turn them up, they can train kids within a day on how to be experts in certain jobs, higher end, you've got to have a, a slower process, but more methodical, et cetera, whatever it may be. But yeah, it, it certainly needs to line up. Um, back to you, Kelly, what's your advice when it comes to growing a successful recruitment business? Um, I think it's kind of in line with what we've already been talking about and especially what Martin just talked about in terms of 
knowing what it is that you're tr- that you want to do and and I think you know I was guilty of it when I started my HR consultancy I'd just be like trying to do all the things to all the people yeah, because yeah. you know trying to grow the business so I can do HR and it was only sort of over time that we you know we've established that you know employee engagement is our thing because I truly believe in that and believe in that proactive approach to creating engaged teams and having the right people and the right cultures so I think you know for me that's where we've then you know seen our growth because we are really clear on who we are who we want to work with and what we do and so then you know that doesn't fit with every business and and every person and that's fine because then the people that we are working with are in line with our values and what we're trying to achieve and that's where we've seen our growth come from brilliant yeah i agree with that what do you think um martin i might go to you rather than leaving you at the end there each time what what are your thoughts on uh, probably feeds into what you're just saying in terms of uh, how to grow a successful recruitment business Growth is a growth is a. Uh, it's one of those words, isn't it? Where I think um, someone mentioned lifestyle businesses before. Maybe it was you, Charles, and and um, the idea of like you can grow to a limit, you know. And people have that thing. Says we, in order to be successful, you've got to have a thousand people spread into any twenty offices around the world. Yeah. Um, well, that's absolutely not true. And I mean, I'm reminded of years ago a discussion about v- um, Volkswagen versus Porsche. Um, and you know, producing volume versus producing um, profit. And at the time, Porsche was way more profitable as a business than, than Volkswagen was. And surely that's your ultimate measure of success. So then you come back to what is growth for me? Is growth recruiting more people and turning over more revenue and creating more of a footprint? Or is growth optimizing and, um, and creating um, more effective margins? Um, and is it revenue growth um, within a, um, a profitability scale? Yeah, there isn't an answer to that. I yeah. mean, obviously, it's a, you know, it's a, a rhetorical question. But um, for me, I think once you've got that vision of what it is you want to be and decide what your measure of growth is going to be, then, yeah, you need a clear plan how, you, how, it's gonna, how you're going to get there. Um, I guess the the one thing that me pers- really reverberates for me personally is development of the people that I'm working with. Um, investment in individuals is is so so important, um, and that can even if you're working with someone who's been in the industry for twenty years, if they don't feel like they're developing, if they don't feel like things are moving in some direction forward and towards some goal that they actually have, how are you going to keep that exciting? Mm. And if you want to grow a successful business, you know, then that means growing those people within your successful business. Um, and that can obviously mean also adding more and more people to that whole, um, you know, the whole circuit. But, um, but yeah, development of the people, I guess, um, having them on a journey. Yeah. Um, I, I talk to people as a recruiter, talk to my candidates about the importance of knowing when you join a business, if that, businesses employing you to do a job for a period of time before you then move on to your next job or whether you're joining that business for a career both are fine by the way you know particularly in modern market where you could move jobs every 18 months um, and people wouldn't necessarily frown at that perhaps in recruitment we still would a little Um, we look at that and say why are you moving every 18 months how do you manage to establish a client base in 18 months and really profit from it well, there, there could be answers to that that maybe we dismissed a little too quickly still. We've got our own prejudices around that. The rest of the marketplace has changed. People move 18 months, that's, you know, that's reasonable. But if you want to join a company for a career, then they need to be taking you on a journey because you know, that's, how, that's the reason why you stay. 
Uh, and so are you saying you would, or businesses, recruitment businesses might potentially be missing out on talented recruiters because of the job hopping portfolio approach? Is that right? No, I, I, I don't like to speak badly about my own industry. But <laughs> any company, I don't just mean this I've, industry. No, I've, I've, I've been in the recruitment industry since um, for 20 odd years now. And I mean, I love the industry, obviously, otherwise I wouldn't be still in it. Um, but yes, absolutely. Do we make mistakes? Yeah, 100%. Um, and then the things that we, that we still struggle with are trust um, and also the idea of changing from what we know to be something that works. So yes, absolutely. I think we miss out on people because we have a prefixed idea that if you move jobs every 18 months in recruitment, for example, that's a sign that you probably aren't you probably aren't cutting the mustard. Otherwise you would have stayed. You true. would have stayed because you would have been making money. Yeah. Well, that isn't necessarily true for particularly for millennials who have different motivators from, from some of the Gen Xs that, that you know, we've seen before. And then, you know, and then the other thing about the, the way things are done, you know, we, we need people to be in the office from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. because that's how you become a successful recruiter. And, and we need people to be visible. We need them to be there in an office because that's how you become successful. That's what I know. Therefore, that's the only way. And I, I do think as an, as an industry, the recruitment industry um, is very quick to um, promote flexible ideas for their customers whilst being very slow to adapt to those flexible ideas themselves. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. Uh, and Ian, um, some of the points there Martin raised about the development side, that is, I suspect, very important for a business like yours where you were talking about, uh, I don't know, would you call it modernizing or just changing approaches, bringing new technologies in, things like that, the development side. But also, what are your thoughts on how to grow a successful recruitment business? Um, come on, really, I, I think it changes um, over time. When you first start out, when, certainly when I started out and set up um, Sylvan, I didn't really start with the end in mind or where, where you wanted to get to. It was more um, a case of um, an itch needed to scratch. The timing was right. <laughs> the, the stars sort of aligned and it, and it, and it worked well. And you sort, of, you sort of go with it quite quickly and you just try and get deals, make money, seeing if you're going to survive when you start out. And, and suddenly you go, actually, well, there's something here that we can, we can grow and make something of it. And suddenly your perspective starts to change. You think, right, okay, how do we grow this? How do we take it forward? How do we build something? Um, where do we want to get to with it? What's the possibility? What do we want to be known for? Um, what, what's the goal for the business? Um, what legacy do we want to leave behind? How do you want the brand to be perceived? And these are all fairly big questions um, that you start to develop over time as the business grows and evolves. And, you know, people tend to start in their bedrooms and kitchens and end up in a small office and bigger office and all this. And, and you do get to a point where... Um, you've been running around so fast, you sort of forgotten why you started it in the first place. So um, for me, the, the first of all, you've got to be true to yourself all the way through. Cause I think it changes. Um, mm. you, you, and I think there's been decisions I've made in the past where I've made mistakes where I look back and go, probably knew that was wrong, but I went with it anyway. Cause you look at the pound signs and you think it's an easy win and it, and it never works. So I think the, the main thing is be true to yourself. Um, and I think now if I was looking back, I'd probably be a bit more um, thorough in not in a three, five year business plan situation because it's so difficult to do that is in recruitment and, and it changes. And, mm. and also it's a bit boring because we're in recruitment because we like the thrill and it's quick and it doesn't, whatever you're doing, we, we like that. So three to five years isn't, 
for me, it's not sexy or exciting three to five years away. Um, what you can do is you can you can say where do want to, where do want to, where do want the business to be perceived or where do want to be in twelve months, and actually have a structure that you want to aspire to be. And I never had that. I never had a structure that uh, that I wanted the business to look like. Whereas now I do, and actually that helps me and it helps all my team and my managers a lot more because we know what we're trying to achieve now. We, and that structure can be three people, one people, it can be 300 people. It actually doesn't matter on what that structure is. Yeah. But if you haven't achieved it, it's quite inspiring for everyone to know, actually, I want to be that job up there. I want that job. And there's another job there. And so when you bring people in, they can see their route of progression. And as, as the owner, you can also see the route of growth. And as I say, it actually doesn't matter whether you want to be a 10-man business or if you want to be Robert Walters or Hayes or Adeco and the importance of the the structure of what's important to the business owner will drive the success or failure. And, and we've massively improved since we put that in place. Whereas in the past, you know, four or five years ago, we were freestyling a bit and just, yeah, let's do some deals. Let's have some fun. Let's get out there. And you know what? That was great. And it was, it was loads of fun. Um, but people can get burnt out that way. And people can often, you know, start asking other questions around, can I have some flexibility? Can I do this? I want my managing. I want to be, a, I want to be a biller. I actually don't want to manage. I want to do that. And so you've got to start then think other questions present themselves as the business matures. Yeah. As the business matures, it's a lot easier if you have a structure that you can fit into to move it through at, at whatever size um, you wish. Cause most, most of us like over time to have some kind of plan of what's going to happen. Path, yeah. Um, yeah. and, and, and that's only something recently that, that I've embraced, if I'm honest, because in the past, it was just, let's just, let's just run, let's just go. Um, yeah. and, and, and that's, that is good fun actually, but it's sort of, it's self-defeating because you, you often lose people that you probably could have kept and you reinvent the wheel and you re-recruiting and you go again and you, you get stuck. Whereas if you people can see where they're going to get to, actually that's fine. And, and actually they can see why they haven't got something as well. Cause that's often a big thing. People are very um could say i want that but unless you can tell them why they haven't got it and what they need to do to get it as well are the easy options sometimes to you know go for two more grand elsewhere with actually i can see that and i can see what you're trying to do to get me and i really appreciate the help and the development and support oh, yeah. and the flexibility and all those sort of things um Absolutely. so I, but, you know as i say i think it's it's not about size it's not about how big you want to be but it's about being true to yourself and understanding what you want it to look like yeah uh, and earlier Martin was talking about some of that stuff. The turnover is such a crucial issue and it helps you retain culture. And, and Kelly was talking about employee engagement. And that's how you're going to achieve that. Charles, did you hear any of your story in, in what Ian was talking about? You know, the, the rapid yeah. growth. And- you know, Ian, while, whilst you were, you were just sort of going through your, your sort of past with business and, and you talk about the freestyling and sort of, you know, a lot of businesses start from a bedroom and small offices. Yeah, it does. You know, it, it, it brings back some fond, fond, fond memories, I guess. Um, it, it, look, I think to echo a bit what we've, we've already sort of discussed, but also my, on my sort of take of it, yeah, growth's a strategy, isn't it? But what's really interesting is you've got a, a bunch of experienced people here now looking back over the last seven years, 10 years, however long, 20 years we've been in the, in the industry. And you're now looking back and, and, and giving great insight. But what I think is really interesting is, you know, I go back seven years ago and I was very much in that freestyling stage where it was just a bit of fun. We're just out there trying to make some money and no one had a plan of where it was going to go. No one had a two to five year business plan. Um, and you're right, you know, they're not sexy. It's not fun. Back then it's just a case of it's bums in seats. You want to try and get as much money made as possible. And, you know, let's face it, the first couple of deals that come through, everyone sits and thinks to Bill Gates and it's like, we're going to be the biggest and the best. 
Um, but that's what's fun about it. And I think it's so easy now to look back and look at what the right strategy should be and what the right growth um, progression ladder should be for your business. And, you know, I've made mistakes in the same, in the same, like trying to grow too quickly. And as I said earlier, opening too many offices and stretching ourselves too far. And, you know, it's, it's this idea that we all have an idea now of what it should be, but back then you have to try it to learn it. And I think that if I could give any advice now, and I always, whenever I speak at um, events and talk about business growth and strategies, one of my favorite points to discuss, because it's something that I wish if I'd known more back then, the less mistakes I'd have made would have been so much more better for my time, better for money. And, you know, it's, it's things like maybe even getting on board with a mentor, listening to podcasts like this, listening to people like, like this guy speak about the mistakes we've made uh, or, you know, listening to him talk about the freestyling element and, and you know, two to five year business plan. I think everyone that walks into this idea of starting a business thinks that a business plan is the first thing I need. So we need to know what we're going to be doing two to five years from now. Well, we've got two guys here that didn't have that at all, uh, 10 years and seven years in. So that isn't necessarily a strategy that you need to have for a successful growth in, in your business. And I think it's just, it's, it's understanding, yes, where you want to be. And, and we've all sort of echoed that. And, and it's, I, it's easy now to say where we want to be because we're somewhere on that route to doing it. When you go back six, seven years, 10 years, no one thought for, I didn't think for a million, for, for a million years, I'd be sat here talking to you guys, you know, with a, a, a 10 million plus 10 of a business. I never thought that, you know, my goal was to make some money and try and do what we could. And, and it's the, the progression is not something I could have ever predicted or really put down in a plan. Um, it was sort of stuck it and see, get, get involved, get stuck in and let's really sort of see where this can go. Again, what, what, what Ian said, um, but yeah, for, for advice for anyone trying to grow, and I, I really do love the subject of growth because it's something that everyone's got their own take and story on. I think it's just sourcing the right information. It's right making the right decisions. It's getting the right strategy. And again, these podcasts are really, really good for anyone that's starting out in businesses because you get an inside, an inside angle from people that are already doing it. And I think that's one bit of information I lack years ago is being able to pick the phone up and speak to people. I always find recruitment is a strange industry as well because everyone's, everyone sees everybody as a competitor all the time. And I always came from this mindset that if I'm in business and you guys are in business, yes, we're in the same industry, might not be tackling the same sort of client. Why can't we speak? Why can't I put the phone up to him? Why can't I put the phone up and tell yourself and say, what's your thoughts on this? You know, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. And yeah. it should be more open for us to be able to speak and help one another than what it actually is. And, you know, I remember years ago trying to deal with people that were in the similar sectors and it was like, we were like arch nemesis, we were enemies. And it's like, <laughs> we've never even spoke. Like, well, why are we enemies? You know, there's enough business out there for us yeah, all exactly. to, 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 to play with. We don't have to be fighting over it. Um, and I think that that's just super important. It's, it's about learning from other people's mistakes. It's easy, easier said than done, but that information's got to be there for us to do it, hasn't it? And I think everyone's going to be open to discussing their failures, their, their, their wrongdoings, their, their errors in business for other people to learn. And if you're not prepared to talk about it, then no one's ever going to really take good, a good bit of information away from you. Brilliant. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and it's hopefully getting better and better as people share more information and the internet expands and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, what I have you, Charles, um, you were talking earlier about upselling, cross-selling of services. Can you describe a bit about that? Yeah, so I think I, I started out in, 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 the, in the industries and the sectors that were sort of, yeah, look, it's a saturated market and, you know, there's not many ways you can sort of repackage the, the idea of high volume recruitment in my sectors. And it's, everyone's sort of selling a similar product. And I mean, you know, what, what we were talking about earlier on about sort of getting a good word of, you know, a, a good reputation and, and, and having word of mouth sales and a good marketing behind you and good PR is, is 
super important. But when you're first starting out, you're coming to go up against some of the big boys and, you know, you are just a, a one-man band, so to speak, when, in those early days. And marketing budgets are sort of tough to come by because every single penny that you get into the business, you're trying to sort of redevelop and take more people on and build the business. So I think the idea of cross-selling for me, we, start, we started looking, I mean, we started, say, working in a logistics company, supplying driver supply on temp basis. And uh, we'd spend, we'd, we'd, we'd turn that client into maybe a, a, you know, you know, a small account for us that we'd be sort of nurturing and then we'd maybe get the capability, the maximum capability of what that client could ever offer us. And then we'd go off looking for another client. And after a while, it sort of took me a, a, a bit of time to realize that the amount of time I was spending trying to find that next client, in actual fact, if I sort of diversify a little bit and start, start to supply a different market that that business may need, I've already got a client there that trusts me and wants to buy from me. Yep. So let's cross sell a little bit. Let's not just sell them drive supply. Let's also sell them maybe warehousing staff or whether it's uh, clerical staff, whatever it might be. Um, and then once the idea of sort of cross-selling came into, into play with us, we just really, really sort of capitalized and played on it. And that's been really one of the biggest growth strategies we've really had throughout the business. And it's formed now other businesses that I'm involved in that aren't involved in recruitment. But really, again, using those relationships with clients and using those relationships with businesses. I think the, the biggest thing you've got to try and achieve when selling is trust, isn't it? You've got to try and get somebody to trust you with their business because it's not just a money transaction. It's a trust thing that they're, they're relying on you to make sure that they're getting the best product possible for their business. And I think that's a massive thing to overcome. And for me, I wanted to sort of, I wanted to go the business sort of fairly quickly. And I think that for me to do that, I needed to um, expand as much as I could on the relationships that I had. And, and that's where cross-selling really came into it. And as I say, it's formed other avenues and other revenue streams now for us within the group that aren't even involved in recruitment, but just because we've been in those positions, opportunities have presented themselves. And, you know, I guess like the rest of you guys, if you, you know, you're in your own businesses, I think opportunities do begin to present themselves and if they do and, and, and it works you take them and, and you know before you know it, you can be involved in something completely different but but it's a great revenue stream and that for me is, has been a, a solid sort of strategy for growth that that, that cross-selling aspect and say still do it every single still doing it every day it's, it's something yeah. that i think is fantastic for any business it doesn't have to recruitment brilliant in the tech world that they have lots of different metrics that they manage and measure every single day one of them is ltv lifetime value and that's for every business not just tech but it, they're obsessed with some of the different numbers if you understand the lifetime value then you can work backwards and work out how much you can spend to acquire a new client because that then turns into x pounds over a lifetime value and lifetime might be one year it might be 10 years it might be two um, but if you're adding cross-selling into that you can get that ltv up um, so that's a, that's a brilliant strategy. Well done, yeah. Um, I, I just want to move to the final question then of what does the future hold for the recruitment and talent acquisition space? Kelly, do you want to kick us off there? What are your thoughts? Um, I think, you know, um, I think it's pretty, pretty obvious that COVID has had like yeah. such a, a big impact this year and continues and will continue to have an impact. And obviously with everyone or so many people moving to that remote um, way of working, I mean, you know, we've, we've done it a bit at HR Star and we can provide a lot of our services remotely, but I also do like the face-to-face -face, um, sort of element as well. So I like a bit of both, but what I'm seeing, you know, certainly some of our clients who've struggled in the past to recruit based on their location, that, you know, that element is being removed. Um, so a client of mine, you know, works at Oxford way in, in a really remote um, area, which they've always struggled to bring people into the office. They're competing with the, you know, London market as well. 
now they've gone fully remote and have seen you know that pool now just opening up so much in terms of not being determined by sort of having to actually physically be in an office space so I do think that will change mm-hmm. also what I'm seeing um from my clients who are still recruiting through this time um people saying oh there's this now huge pool of unemployed people out there so you know expect to see lots of candidates for your vacancy and at the moment that isn't necessarily proving true um and I don't know why you know maybe some of the reason is and just from my HR perspective when I'm working with businesses and we're looking to streamline and restructure and that redundancies are you know become a, a part of that we aren't making really great people redundant so I know you make the role not the person redundant but if you're looking to streamline and be able to like get through this you know really tough time you're going to want to keep hold of your key you know really top performers so they aren't the people who are facing redundancy so whilst we might have this pool you know a bigger pool of unemployed people out there they're not necessarily the talent that people are now looking for when they're looking to you know to grow or add to their business to get through you know the the tough times so it is a really challenging time out there um, and that's definitely what my clients are finding at the moment and it'd be interesting to hear what what the others are you know are seeing at the moment as well yeah uh ian i I see you nodding there What what are your thoughts um it just made me smile about the um clients thinking that because of you know, people downsizing or make redundancies and suddenly that life's a lot easier, right? <laughs> it's quite the opposite. Um, as good people get looked after as they always have them. And, um, you know, there will be some um, diamonds out there, of course, because there always is yeah. in situations where um, unemployment rises, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean, especially in my market where it's manufacturing and manufacturing sites can't work, you can't work from home because hence the nature of the job and managing teams. So, you know, it doesn't matter if a factory in the north of Scotland's making 3,000 redundancies. It doesn't help you if you're in central yeah. London, to be honest with you. Um, so there's that dynamic go, going on. But in terms of the future of the recruitment market, I think it's evolving quite quickly. I think recruitment companies are, um, you know, are changing for the better. Um, and I think that it's it's always been a relationship-based job, Um done well you can have transactional recruitment and one-off fees and spot fees absolutely of course you can um and there's nothing wrong with that but i think in terms of um one making your life easier and two longevity and growth you've got to offer more than just transactional recruitment approach as, as the market evolves um there's there's different products out there there's different things whether you can offer a managed service an rpo whether you can offer different types of retainers whether you can offer variants on um, video interviewing, trial starts, um, whether you can package these things up, whether you can offer almost an outsourced model um, in-house that, that that's not a fully retained talent acquisition team that costs X thousand pounds a year, but it's, it's a variation on that that recruitment companies can offer. I think all these things are happening as we speak and are evolving. Um, I think on the contract market, more recruitment companies are, are already due to my um, R35 was meant to be last year, have, have upskilled their knowledge around um, the implications for legislation and, and strong recruitment businesses that are in the contract market space. After, it's no good, again, I don't know what that means. You have to be able to offer a solution. You've got to be able to de-risk all, all parts of the supply chain. You've got to have a product that can help with that. Um, and also offer project-based recruitment, whether it's, you know, you want... Um, 
a whole warehouse or factory filling and you do everything and, it, and it's a different pricing model and you look at the pricing and the payment. I think recruitment firms will evolve and are already evolving and changing and it's for the better because it gives more flexibility. It gets different talent into the into the um, industry as well and it, and it attracts different people in because th there will be, I firmly believe that recruitment as it's always been will be there because there's a need for people that need someone tomorrow or they need a, a niche job filling and I don't care if you've got 25 talent acquisition people, if they don't understand what the job is, you're still better off going to a recruiter and that will still be there. But I think going on, you know, what the guys said and what Charles was saying in terms of cross-selling, I think cross-selling isn't just about filling jobs in different functions. It's about offering different solutions to different problems mm. um, and, and talent problems. Uh, people have done salary surveys and all that sort of tweet stuff for years. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, so what sort of thing? It's like, what what's going to, what's going to generate proper revenue. And I, so I think the recruitment market are going to do all of those things and continue to do that. And, and the, the change is going to be embraced by some and not others. And um, I think it's quite exciting really, quite interesting. And I think, you know, from my own experience, we've tried to do some stuff. We've got some stuff right, some stuff wrong. And that's, that's a lot more fun than just doing the same old, same old for another mm. 10, 15 years. Absolutely. I know when I was starting out my HR business, we formed mini consortiums, if you like, with other related but non-competing businesses and one big projects. It's a great way to mix it up, cross-sell. You get bigger volume and margins are excellent. So absolutely. Um, Martin, uh, your thoughts on what does the future hold for the recruitment and talent acquisition space? Uh, it's an interesting one. There's lots of different angles to this, which I think people have already touched on a little bit. I think... Um, USPs obviously is, uh, USPs are kind of overused as a, as a term everyone's looking for you know what are my USPs and you speak to 20 recruiters in a room and you'll find that the USPs often aren't that you they're not really that unique a lot of them <laughs> um, I even hear people pitching database still I don't know if that's, <laughs> I don't know if that's still a thing um, the, there's the, the, ice, um, the iceberg thing which is the tip of the iceberg being above the water and the rest of it being underneath the water and you know, you think about that as a recruitment industry and commoditization of what we do. If you're going to continue to provide value to your customers, you've got to keep moving up the iceberg. You've got to keep looking for that area where you're adding value to your service um, rather than just providing something that you used to provide. Um, and then those, those goalposts do move. Actually, funnily enough, um, you know, listening to, to Charles and I'm talking about business plans and how they evolve and starting out not really knowing where you're going to be in three years, five years, or even two years, one year, because things do move. They, they always do move. Coming back to the point, the future of the industry is, um, is to continue to search, in my opinion, for what um, makes your offering add value to your customers. And your customers are both your candidates and your clients. Um, how, do you, how do you continue to move up the iceberg and search for that new area? And whether that's um, a deeper specialization in um, the market in which you operate, whether it's a more rapid way of servicing that sector um, by utilizing technology or partnerships or, or just knowledge, um, you know, whether that's going to be price optimization by looking to automate, um, you know, as much of your service as possible um, to, you know, to, to cut that margin down so you can offer a better price point your customers whatever whatever you're going to be you've, you've we've got to keep continuing looking to optimize our services in one of those areas and understand is that um optimization adding value to our customers um and if it is then we'll continue to be relevant 
And if not, then we won't be. I remember hearing um, three, four, maybe even five years ago, um, sitting in a recruitment seminar with 200 or so um, senior leaders from recruitment businesses um, in, a, in London. Where's the, where's the industry going? Um, and the discussion back then was that the um, one-stop stop, one shop recruitment service organisations weren't growing anymore. Um, that the, the businesses that were growing were all specialised in some way funnily enough actually um charles you, you touched upon this actually specialization doesn't need to be staying in your lane and not looking at anything else that you service your customer for it might be your the way you specialize is you specialize by servicing accounts um yeah. you know by offering incredible account management type service to those businesses you've got a partnership with but i mean you know the the, the ultimate answer with all that is it wasn't the one stop shops that were disappearing it was just they stopped innovating the businesses that stopped growing had stopped looking for ways to improve their service proposition um uh, and so yeah i mean i i haven't got a crystal ball and i can't tell you which of the different um offerings are going to be more successful or less successful i think worker flexibility is uh, is it an absolute given um you know, but that's not about servicing our customers better. That's just about being able to recruit great recruiters to work for our organizations. Um, but it, as in terms of servicing the market, I think it's just continuing to evolve, you know, looking for where you're going to specialize more, how you can utilize the, the technology and the people more effectively to keep adding value to your service. Absolutely. I agree. Charles, you got mentioned there. Um, your final thoughts on what does the future hold for the recruitment and talent acquisition space? Yeah, no, like, like as Martin said, no one's got a crystal ball. It, it, it's 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 a it's a question that I think has so many different answers for so many different key sectors within the industry because recruitment is such a broad broad sector, uh, broad industry rather. And I think you know, look from from my perspective, I guess it's an uh, every day is an evolving market. Obviously, we come across the i thirty five issue similar to yourself, and you know, it's for us, it's it's, it's I think the future is, is is to adapt, and I think that you've got to now. This is such a fast fast moving product at the minute, and especially this year, you know, as Kelly said, with COVID, everything has to present its own issues. You know, with the type of work we do, remote work has never really been something that's on the cards or something we've looked at, and that just shows us how really probably wrong we've been for quite some time because forced into it in early March with lockdown lockdown one we're in lockdown two now i guess but lockdown one we were forced into it and you know for what was at the time a logistical nightmare trying to get people set up working from home and you know dealing with the fact that we have to sort of deal with you know registering candidates on a weekly basis and all of a sudden the government's telling us we can no longer do that then it's uh, how to react to that how do we still function as the business if we can't physically bring people into the office and go through a, a process to register them and, and do the right to work checks etc well you know, we've, we had to adapt, we had to look and we had to see what was going to be, you know, this wasn't going to be a week or two. We knew this was going to be a long uh, a long stint and obviously we're now back in it. And we, we invested heavily in, in tech and we needed a system, uh, a platform that was going to sort of operate each of our, our consultants working from home or remote or wherever they're going to be in the country to be able to do all these checks and, and, and registrations with various different candidates across the country from home. And that's what we did. I um, mean, I think that, it's about evolving now. It's about sort of adapting to what the market's doing and it's about evolving your business to suit the current climate. And yeah, look, we're, we're in a very unprecedented time. I don't think anyone could have sort of seen this a year, a year ago and if we'd have sort of sat here and, and thought we'd now be all working from home across the, across the, the country and, and, and more, no one would have ever sort of put, put, put 
digress on that. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it, each individual business has got its own uh, it, it, its own path, I guess. And I think it's 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 now a case of evolving, as I said earlier. And I think the businesses that fail to see that, and businesses that fail to want to adapt now, are the ones that are going to struggle in the next twelve months. I think you've you've got to embrace it. And you've got to get on with it. There's no point in sort of worrying about what you're doing twelve months ago. It's about now, isn't it? Um, and it's really about sort of growing with with the times. Absolutely, thank you. And it reminds me. I know I'm plugging my own podcast here, but hey, um, just a recent episode where I interviewed a guy, long story short, just before COVID, he bought a tourism company in the States, fun walking tours of Austin and New York and all that. COVID hits. Their company is built around walking people around town. So that is completely gone, absolutely stuck. He's got an old domain name website sitting there called teambuilding.com. He's now used all the people who were the tour guides. Their angle was fun tours, you know, have a laugh. He's taken them all online. Now he runs team building events online. So, you know, lemonade out of lemons. So innovate yeah. is a bit of a theme I've been hearing, guys. So uh, absolutely. Last question really is you guys have been so kind in sharing your thoughts and insights and experiences. Just to wrap up, can I, can I for 20 seconds, a quick summary. If, if someone listening to this thinks, oh, actually, I, I know of a client who could be working with these guys, um, what, what, uh, who, who are your ideal clients if someone is listening to this and could re- potentially refer business to you? So, uh, Ian, do you want to start that and just explain who you could help? Yeah, yeah that's straightforward. Uh, food and drink manufacturers um, have whatever size challenger brands through to the biggest we work with. Uh, you know, ones you won't have heard of to the ones you will, Kraft Heinz, Coca-Cola. Um, so really straightforward. Anybody that makes anything that you can eat in a supermarket or a cafe. Not hospitality and restaurants. (laughs) Not hospitality and restaurants. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Kelly? Um, Yeah, so we mainly work with bold thinking business leaders who want to take that people-first approach. So anyone who really wants to look at um, ensuring they have an engaged um, uh, team, then, yeah, they're the kind of business that we love working with. Great. Thank you. Uh, Charles? So, yeah, um, I suppose anything within the the sort of distribution logistics sectors, you know, we can manage accounts with sort of maybe – you know, whether it's Christmas peak, whether they need 150 tents on site for two months to sort of get over seasonal peaks, whatever that may be. So, yeah, anything sort of distribution, logistics um, across the country, really, that's where we, we sort of find our niche. Gotcha. You just took me back to three wonderful days I spent in Basildon when a, a, a logistics factory, bur- a warehouse burnt down. I had to sort out cheaper stuff. Oh, uh, uh, right. Okay. <laughs> Paradise. Uh, Martin? Um, any organisation that's looking to build capability um, with either Salesforce um, or cybersecurity is interesting for us, and um, and that includes you know large consulting organisations that are trying to build a Salesforce practice, for example, and end users who are implementing the technology and are struggling to bring in specialists who can help them on that digital transformation. Brilliant, excellent. Well, all of you, thank you very much. So, Charles, Ian, Kelly, Martin, I really appreciate your time, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks. Thank, thank you. Thanks a lot. Cheers, thank guys. You. Good to meet you all. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.